You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Green Smith, episode 445. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP445. Oh, well, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing, or your partner asks what's bothering you, and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Well, hello, y'all. Amy here. I am so excited to continue with our series around identity. If you haven't caught the last two episodes, I highly suggest that you do so. We kicked it off with a conversation with my dear friend, Sarah Dean. You can find that under episode 443, where we talk about how our identity changes as our roles change in our life, specifically if you kind of don't know what you like anymore now that you're a parent or now that you've thrown yourself into your career for the last 10 years and you've kind of lost sight of who you are or what you even enjoy. That's what we discussed with Sarah, so be sure to catch that. And then last week, I discussed a ton of different assignments and journal prompts that you can use to start uncovering who you want to be in this world. We talked about how folks have branded you or assigned labels to you throughout your life and what to do about that if you want to stop being the shy one or the quote too sensitive one or you're too loud or people have you know given you these monikers throughout your life what do we do with that how do we examine our various life roles like am i spending enough time being a parent versus being a friend versus being a creative or being an activist. Like we really start breaking down where do you spend all of your time and energy. So be sure to catch those two. This week, I'm going to dial up another expert. I'm hoping that I'm able to grab her and get her on the line. Her name is Lopa Vandermersch. And y'all, she really had to work on identity because she was in a cult, not once, but twice, and had to figure out who she was, what she believed in the middle of a really extreme situation where she was genuinely starting to lose who she was. So how does one get stuck in that? Where do we go from there? How do you start trusting and believing in yourself after you've been kind of duped, after you've been bamboozled? So I want you to not turn turn this off or go, oh gosh, that would never happen to me. Because a lot of the tactics that people fall prey to when they get involved in some sort of cult-like environment is not dissimilar to abusive or narcissistic relationships. I'm sure many of you out there can think about situations where you felt duped by somebody you were dating 
or maybe even a best friend or somebody you trusted in your workplace. So there are definitely going to be nuggets that you will be able to glean from my supposed conversation with Lopa. I'm going to give her a ring here in a second, but I want to tell you just a little bit about her uh, with hopes that we get her on the line. So Lopa is many things, serial entrepreneur, mother of two, sustainability freak, TEDx speaker, and she has basically traveled all over the world in search of health and spiritual fulfillment, one of the reasons why that landed her in the cult environment that we're going to talk about today, and figuring out boundless energy. So when she became a mom, she started realizing, I really need to create some sort of energy in my life, but I don't want coffee to do that. I don't want caffeine and I don't really like a lot of the coffee alternatives. So she ended up creating her own adaptogenic coffee alternative, which I will definitely discuss with her because you know how I feel about caffeine and anxiety. Hello, anyone out there who has anxiety, listen up. But we're going to dig into mostly finding her identity spiritually after going through what she calls her own personal 2020, uh, which was for her in 2015, where she left a cult, underwent emergency surgery while pregnant, lost a beloved family member, and had a traumatic cesarean birth. And because she was so beaten down and exhausted, that's really what led her to wanting a sustainable source of energy that could boost and elevate her mood without the crashes or the jitters. So we'll definitely dig into that if we catch her. Three years later, what started out as a mom elbow deep in herbs in her kitchen has now grown into a full-blown energy movement. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And there just might be a really awesome coupon code only for Boldface Truth listeners. So without further ado, let's dial up Lopa and see if we can get some intel on building a spiritual identity. Hello. Lopa. Hey, it's Amy. How are you, friend? Hey, doing well. How are you? I'm so good. Hey, listen, I'm curious. I'm hanging out over here with the audience. We've been talking about some stuff around identity. And I know you've gone through a handful of situations in your life, specifically with breaking out of a cult and reconciling what your identity looks like as a spiritual person and, and all of that now. Do you happen to have a handful of minutes so where I can kind of toss some of this stuff around with you? Heck yeah. You know, actually your timing is perfect. I just put some water on to boil to brew my rasa. So I've got a few minutes. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Okay. So I, before, before we jump into all of this awesome cult stuff, <laughs> uh, tell people what the hell rasa is really quick. Yeah. So uh, herbal coffee alternatives that help you beat burnout with nourishing energy from adaptogens and functional mushrooms instead of caffeine. Nice. Okay. Okay. So I have heard some folks talk about mushroom coffee. Mm -hmm. Is that like a genre of coffee alternatives? Yeah, I would say mushroom coffee is often coffee plus mushrooms. And this is uh, more like coffee made from herbs. 
it's a, it's an herbal coffee um, without actual coffee in it. Although we do have one blend that's our, that's mixed with coffee. It's kind of a gateway drug for a lot of people, but yeah, so this is giving you energy from the herbs, from the adaptogens um, and not the, the caffeine or the coffee. We definitely need to talk about this for sure. So we'll, we'll circle back to this because I cannot tell you how many clients and students I have advocated for getting off of caffeine and changing sort of that, that energy force. The struggle is real. Yes. And, uh, you know, how I started Rasa is actually intimately tied to my cult experience. So we'll like, just, we'll end up there at the end. Naturally. I'm sure. I love this. I love this. Okay. First off, can you talk a little bit and you, you don't necessarily have to go into all of the, the nitty gritty of it, but just sort of the, the sequence of events that led you into sort of a cult-like environment. Because I think most people, when they observe, quote, cults from a distance, they think, how could you ever get yes. lost into that? How could you? What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, gosh, I'm a smart person. I would never fall for that, right? We do it with internet scams. We do it with all sorts of things where we think we're elitist. But I, I've heard you discuss how it's not dissimilar to what a lot of people go through in their interpersonal relationships mm -hmm. where someone kind of begins to take over their identity or sideswipes their sovereignty. So tell us a little bit about what your personal journey looked like. It's step-by-step, step. you know, it's how do you, how do you eat an elephant bite by bite? Um, you don't know what you're getting into. Just like if you're in an abusive relationship, you don't, it doesn't start out with all the red flags or maybe it does. And then you learn how to see them after the fact, but usually it starts out golden and sunshine and rainbows and, you know, all the, all the things, unicorns and orgasms. And yeah, um, exactly. So, um, I mean, I have some personal history where, you know, I've been a deep spiritual seeker for pretty much all my life. So I, I was uh, in a lineage initiated into a lineage and studied very deeply in that time. And after experiencing a bit of a break with that teacher, something, you know, just nothing major, just like some disconnect happened. And I started, I was like looking, I was out looking. And so one thing to notice is that anytime you are in that place of, I need something, I'm, I'm looking for something. My husband re reflected to me. He was like, you were desperate for a teacher at that time. I wouldn't right. have thought of myself as desperate, but there, now when I look back, I'm like, you're fucking right. I was desperate. You're vulnerable in that state. Like you're, you're, mind is opening to the world and you're, you know, you're like open to receiving it, which is both a beautiful thing. And we want to preserve that while also having discernment and boundaries. I was in that open state and um, met this teacher who, you know, had all the bells and whistles. I mean, there was magic. There was, you know, psychedelic experiences without any psychedelics. There was deep truth and feeling incredibly seen and all the things that we, that I anyway was, was wanting and looking for. There's no like here, sign, here, sign the dotted line for joining the cult. Like, right, you know, right. You don't realize until pretty far in that you're in that. And you, and it's also possible to be involved in something that is cultish at the more inner circle levels um, and maybe doesn't show up that way in more of the outer realms. It starts in childhood. It starts, in, you know, with our attachment wounding. It starts with 
unowned aspects of ourselves where we project onto an other um, parts of ourselves that we're not fully able to embody. Um, all, all of these things can combine into the situation where you're like, oh, wait a second, I've been tolerating something that's really fucking not cool for a long time. It all depends on how how deep of an excavation you want to do um, to sort of get to the source points of how did I end up in this fucked up situation? Whatever it is, you know, whether it's an abusive relationship, whether it's a cult, whether it's a, I'm in this toxic job that I just keep not leaving, you know, or whatever. Like we all, we all can relate to ending up in a situation that we didn't want to be in and having a hard time cutting that off in some way, shape or form. I've heard you talk about this and one of the things that I think it will really hit home for a lot of folks that I see consistently, whether it's in a toxic work environment, friendships, I've had a similar situation with a friendship where mm -hmm. a after the fact, I kind of went, oh my gosh, that's sociopathy. Like that's complete sociopathy. And I'm fucking smart. How did this happen? Right? Like where you kind of go, oh my God. So one of the things that I think people have such a difficult time with is that they actually have really positive experiences in that abusive workplace, with that abusive friendship, with uh, a spiritual practice, right? Mm -hmm. And and mm -hmm. I'm sad to say that working in the personal development space, I see a lot of folks who've been scarred by, quote, teachers or mentors that they've subscribed to that have kind of conditioned them out of their identity, have kind of said, you know, your intuition or your own internal compass cannot be relied upon. That's definitely my situation with an extreme evangelical upbringing. But can you talk a little bit about that dynamic of, God, I had some really great experiences with her. And how do I kind of reconcile that with legitimate abuse? It's ongoing. It, it, you know, I, I, we left seven years ago. And even just last night, I was having a conversation with my husband about like, well, here was some of the good and, you know, we have to hold the good. And, you know, at first it was easy to just be like, the whole thing was fucked, throw it all away, like throw spirituality all away. It's, it's completely, you know, bullshit. And I did that for a few years. And, you know, they say, if you love something, let it go. And if it comes back, it's yours to keep, um, you know, certain aspects of my, spiritual yearning came back on of their own accord even when i was like i'm i just don't even know if i'm a spiritual person anymore like fuck this in that process too it, it's like you can't force it you know like if you need to throw the whole thing away let yourself throw the whole thing away like i think that that can be a really valid you know response to compartmentalizing to allowing yourself the space to heal and not having to do the very complex digestion and dissection of where the good was, where the bad was, where was the good kind of slimed with bad over top. And then you can peel off the slime, but then it's kind of still stuck in there. You know, there, yeah. there's just a lot of, um, it's a lot of work. And I think that in our modern over busy, you know, consuming new content from every different angle and every different moment, like we don't actually take the time to, to digest our past experiences and see where and how we got off our track 
and how to find ourselves back on that track. But, but taking the time to, whether it's writing, whether it's talking to a friend, whether it's meditation, whether it's, um, you know, just letting yourself think about the, the challenging things. I think that it's actually really, really important because, because otherwise we, we, still disconnect from part of ourselves because there's a part of authentic part of ourselves that got into that situation in the first place for for a reason and for a good reason we're not idiots you know like we're not um like we you know we all have our shit but we're something was guiding us in that direction and so if we trust that something and we trust our deeper self we know that we had to get something out of that and some of that is the growth that we experience from going through the suffering that we did, that is a completely valid part. And some of it is there was good here that pulled me in and I'm going to take the good and not, I wouldn't even say leave the bad. It's, it's about integrating the bad. It's about letting that inform and alchemize who you become based on your experience. You can't reject your past. You can't reject what life has given you and what you chose in your life to get to where you are now. Like this, this is part of becoming who you are. And so it's not about just like, oh, I'm going to throw the whole thing away again with the caveat that maybe you need to do that for a little while. But I think at some mm -hmm. point there's, there becomes an integration where you're, you're no longer throwing it away and you're no longer identifying with this is, this was who I was. I am a trauma survivor. I'm a cult survivor. You know, I think that there's a period where that can be very helpful to understand about yourself and as a way of taking care of yourself. And I think that there's also a moment and only you can know when that moment is, and that moment will probably happen of its own accord. You can't force it, but where you do kind of let it go and say, this is integrated into my being. This has become part of my new identity without having to hold up the bad in, in the context of how I define myself. So you are, you said seven, seven years out. I'm so curious about like self-trust because I could see a lot of folks who can go, okay, I can see myself in your story through the lens of a really sordid past relationship where in hindsight, I cannot believe I let that individual treat me that way. I can't believe what I tolerated. And I see a lot of people who are kind of reckoning with their past in that way where they, they don't feel like they have a solid footing. It's like all of these elements of their identity got mm -hmm. completely ripped out from under them. And like you said, you went through that phase where you're like, throw it, throw it all away, throw it all away. And I, I agree with you that I think there's a, a huge place for that in our kind of healing trajectory. But what did that look like for you to go, to go, okay, I recognize why I was hungry for this sort of an experience, why it led me there and parse out what's yours to carry and what's hers to carry. That was not your responsibility and where did that lead you as far as trusting self or following your own intuition? It's, it's a process in the same way that we don't get so off our center immediately. We don't get back on our center immediately either. And so I think first and foremost, we have to be patient with ourselves and understand that it's going to feel a bit wobbly because the very ground of your being has been brought into question. And I think, you know, you can trust that 
if you allow that process patiently, compassionately, discerningly as well, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to let myself wobble for forever. Um, you have to have that sense of sometimes we need to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and say like, all right, I'm going to go in a direction, damn it. But uh, I think if we allow that process that we can trust that the self that comes out of the other side of that is so much stronger and so much more trustable than the one that got us into that. And I think that that's part of the alchemy that's possible in these kinds of situations is that like on some level, like we, we need to be shown how we got off center so that we can find center and tether ourselves to that because that's like, that's what we're here for is to like live from this centered place because that center is the one that's you and only you. When we get off center, it's when we're responding to someone else's reflection of us, when we're responding to um, and, and trusting more, uh, uh, you know, a projection or society's reflection or whatever it may be, we, we get off our center and we unyoke ourselves from our divine unfolding and like what, what and who we are here to be. I'm a big fan of acting at like actually going into action as opposed to just thinking um, about who I am or what I'm going to do. There's a way in which when we bring our intentions and our wishes into manifestation into the world that we're able to get a stronger reflection back and also back to ourselves. Like we see ourselves, you know, as an example, like I, this is probably like a pretty big example. And I don't mean that if you act like you need to do something like this, but for me, starting Rasa was directly out of the aftermath of this, you know, I saw an opportunity and though I was still deep in the healing process and, you know, pretty dysregulated all over the place, because this opportunity spoke to me, I just said yes to it. And I kept on going one foot in front of the other. And I, and I acted and I put, instead of putting a hundred percent of my focus on healing and I don't know about, you know, you, you yourself, Amy, or, or the listeners, but sometimes I can get a little bit too stuck in my head thing. And so there was something about focusing on what can I give and what can I offer that actually helped me to build tremendous trust that wasn't just in the, like, I'm going to self-reflect on this one situation. I'm going to self-reflect, you know, and just get really analytical and dissecting about the, the cult situation. It was like, I built trust by taking right action, doing things that were in integrity with my values. I didn't have to hundred percent process every single moment of that negative experience because my inner confidence and my inner self-trust were building so much through just seeing myself create something that was a benefit to others and you know was in alignment with my values so again it doesn't need to be as big as like you know create some big company kind right. of thing um but you know look at what is the person that you want to be how do you want to show up in the world and make even the most minute of actions towards that? Um, whatever it is, you know, anchor yourself around some habit and there's a, a virtuous 
upward spiral that starts to happen um, just as you take one foot and, and put it in front of the other. I really love what you're saying here because I, I think I, there's so many folks who come out of a really difficult chapter like this, to say the very least, where they feel like, can I even trust myself? And I, I really love what you're saying here because I think going through, if I'm hearing you say this correctly, or if I'm sizing this up correctly, it's, it's like, because you went through what you went through with the cult and then were able to surmount that, heal it, look at it, observe all of the reasons why perhaps that was attractive to you. By virtue of you just going through that and analyzing it, you are far less susceptible to going down that path again. And that's, that's one of the things that I think people don't see very often. They think, oh my gosh, what if I do it again? What if I just get into another job that, that takes everything out of me, or I let somebody else abuse me in an inter- intimate partner relationship. And one of the things that I tell them all the time, when we're do, we're actually doing the work, we're taking that right action is, Hey, you have so much more awareness and insight that when those situations present themselves to you in the future, they are going to be such a red flag that you, you'll have so much more learning and awareness and knowledge that you won't go down that path. Mm-hmm. And, it, and one of the other things too, that I think is really important that you're talking to here about following what basically follow what you do know, right? Like you might get really sucked up into the, well, gosh, I, I don't know how I really feel about a God or a universal energy. I might not know that, but right now, what I do know is that I value kindness, right? Or that I value uh, independence or autonomy or, right? Like, I think a lot of times we get so in this vortex of, oh gosh, but I don't know this, but I don't know. Oh my gosh, my identity, it's being ripped out from underneath me. But it's like, but there are always things that that internal compass Mm-hmm. already knows. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Ground yourself in what you do know. And, and you will be tested. You know, there will be tests that come to see if you have integrated this, if you have, and if you've done that work, it is going to be really easy to recognize. And you're not going to get into that kind of situation because you're also going to have that, that inner self-respect of like, wait a second, I don't fucking let myself be treated like this. Like, wait, how did you just talk to me? Hold up. Um, And and you back out of that situation way before you're in a, you know, a complex, um, traumatic, abusive context. And it's also possible that you don't. And it's actually very common for people to get into two cults. And and if, if we didn't fully integrate into our sense of self, into that unshakable, knowing of who and what you are, um, then, you know, it could come up again. It's okay. You know, like it, we, we go through what we need to go through in this, in this life. And, you know, and that's not to say that we, you know, I, I obviously it's not okay that people experience trauma and all that, but if you can take that broader view, if it's possible for you to see it as like, wow, okay. You know, if you get into another situation, even, you know, sometimes what ends up happening is you get, you get like three or four steps down one of those paths. And then you come back and you're like, oh, fuck, I fucked up and I did it wrong. And I, there I was, but 
how much less far did you go that second time? Exactly. Almost certainly you recognized it way less. And the next time it'll be two steps. And the next time it'll be one step. And then the next time you are waving at that red flag from like the top of the mountain, you're like, fuck you. That's right. That's right. I, I oftentimes will say you're like the gestation period gets so much smaller and shorter. Exactly. So, or, or your tolerance for bullshit gets a lot smaller. So something that would have taken you out, you know, for a year now might take you out for like a month and then it starts to become less and less. So I completely concur with that. I wanted to take a quick moment to thank Let's Get Checked for sponsoring this podcast. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing super easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. Well, testing for what, you might ask? Well, they have a huge array of at-home testing kits, including women's health, men's health, sexual health, and wellness kits. In fact, I did two of the women's hormone testing kits. And it could not have been easier. And then when I received the results, I was able to simply forward them onto my naturopath to get her thoughts. All you do is you simply choose your test online. It will be delivered to you in discreet packaging with next day delivery. And then once your sample arrives in the lab, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. Once your results are available, they'll be reviewed by a physician, and then a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone. And in some cases, a physician will be able to provide prescriptions to the pharmacy of your choosing. Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. Let's Get Checked lets you avoid uncomfortable office visits by providing you with access to home testing and professional medical consultations without ever leaving your home. It has never been this simple to get tested. So get this. If you want to try a test from Let's Get Checked, all you got to do is go to trylgc.com slash bold truth to save a whopping 30% on your first test kit. 30%. Just use the code bold truth, all one word at checkout. That's bold truth to save 30% on your first test kit. Now let's jump back into today's topic. So before we continue on, I wanted to ask a quick favor from you. Do you ever listen to the pod, and I think this might happen for you, where you think, damn, I really wish so-and-so could hear this. Maybe it's your coworker who could actually use a lesson or two on boundaries, or maybe it is a women's group that you're a part of where Everyone is super on board for speaking up for themselves, but nobody really knows what that really sounds like. Okay, where well, here's where you come in. I have three battle-tested and badass keynote speeches that are ready to be delivered to your company, organization, group, association. So if you, your community, or anyone you know could benefit from me rocking the mic, like who couldn't use some new tools, Right please send them over to amygreensmith.com slash speaking where you or they can message me directly about specific needs for the audience. Shocker, the three keynotes are focused around speaking up, contending with fear, and accessing enoughness. And all three of them can be delivered either in person or virtually, and of course can be completely customized for specific audience needs. So again, simply send them to amygreensmith.com speaking, where they can get in touch with me. Because listen, it is time 
that women everywhere have the tools necessary to use their voice, take up space, and advocate for their wants, needs, and opinions, like yesterday. And if you end up orchestrating an opportunity for me to speak with your group, you will officially get unlimited squeezes from me. (laughs) And I'm sure you're all in now. And be sure to let them know that I can always temper my colorful language if needed. And thank you. All right, let's get back to the show. Looking back, what are some of the red flags of giving up your own spiritual sovereignty, giving up your own identity into an organization like this. Can you pinpoint any of those things? Where that's coming from, this question is coming from this kind of abundance of personal growth and stuff that we're surrounded with now, where there's just a myriad of teachers and experts and all sorts of folks. And it's difficult to know who can you trust. And and something that I tell my students all the time is whatever I say to you, whatever I tell you, take it through the lens of, okay, that's Amy's truth. Is that true for me? Try it on. Like you're trying on a coat, see if it fits because it's called personal development for a reason because it's fucking personal. So (laughs) it can't be about what I see for you. Like, so for those who are those kind of perpetual seekers, what are those red flags that you kind of have to look out for of like, Ooh, Ooh, maybe that person, it's not all about my, my growth and development. Yeah. It's a great question. It can be so specific to, to the, to the context and the situation. I mean, there's certain, certainly things that I can point out. I would say first and foremost is like, do you have any of those inner red flag feelings like, and, and are you wanting to ignore them? Right. And if so there, there's your first cue, like, Hey, something kind of felt a little off and I am consciously being like, Nope, not going to pay attention to that. Like just really get curious about that. That, that would be my first, it it always starts from within. Um, and, and any of the external things, because when you're engaging in deep spiritual work, like, our societal conceptions can fall away and, and not there, there are ways that very high spiritual beings show up in the world that I think in our modern cultural context, we'd be like, well, that's not right. Or it shouldn't be like that. And so it's a little hard to point at like specific behaviors. It's not perfect to point at specific, specific behaviors. That's what I mean. Mm. Um, Because sometimes a behavior coming from one place can actually be enlightened activity. And sometimes coming from another place, it's complete narcissism. Right. Um, and, and, and it starts within, if you have that, that spidey sense. So all that said, one of the helpful framings for what a cult is in cult academia is uh, high demand groups. Yes. And, um, I would look at, you know, is there a quality, of pressure on how much time, attention, devotion, money you put into this. Is there some usually implicit, not explicit promise of give more, get more. 
And I don't mean that in the spiritual context, like, of course we, we get out of things, what we put into them. Like that's, that's real. And if I sit on that cushion eight hours a day, it is going to most likely generate more benefit than if I didn't sit on it at all. You know, there, there's that perspective, but is there, is the person at the helm of this subtly or overtly asking for more of your time? And then what are they getting for that? And, and really look at, you know, it's, it's follow the money, but it's like, it's follow the juice. Where is who getting what for what you're putting in? And are you really receiving more benefit from, from putting more time in, or is this something that, you know, you're, you're being kind of subtly pressured to do because then there's, you know, more benefit, you know, more teachings that you get or more secret access and all of that stuff, which again, caveat, like there are certain things that you need to prepare more for. Like they're, they're not going to give you certain teachings unless you've kind of demonstrated a certain level of discipline and a certain level of, of will. So, you know, there's, there's, it's so nuanced, the, these dynamics, which is why it can be really hard to, um, get yourself out of them. Why it can be easy to get into them because there's all these different layers of, you have to have discernment really well placed in yourself, your, your inner fire element has needs to be on fire. Ego is, is another one that, that I really look at, you know, in the situation that I was in, she was very egoic. Um, and there was a lot of things that I didn't want to look at going back to that, the inner red flags that I distinctly wanted to pass over because of all the good stuff. But there was a lot of sort of posturing and competition with other teachers and sort of needing to be the best while at the same time being like, Oh, go study with them. Like you don't need me. I'm, I'm not for everyone kind of mentality. So double speak is another good. Um, so we've got the inner red flags. We've got, um, high demand. We've got ego and, um, double speak. So if they're saying one thing in one place and another thing in another place, less lack of transparency, lack of visibility, going back to the inner dynamic is just, does it align with your values? And like, is, is this uh, something my first teacher said to me, um, which I really appreciated and he taught this a lot was look at the fruit of the path. And by that, it's like, look at this teacher. Is that someone that you want to become? Hmm. Look at their top students. Do you look up to them? Do they, are they exhibiting what you want to see for yourself in your life and in the world. And if they're not, then probably this isn't the right spot for you. Yeah. Um, so it comes back to like, what do you value? And one of the things that I value is humility. And I did not see any of that with her. I ignored that inner red flag for, for so much of the time because there was all these other good things. Oh, wow. That is, it's, it's so curious to hear you speak about this relationship and how paralleled it is to so many dealing with romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm also thinking even about other, other high demand elements in our life, like academia or, you know, something scholastic that we're working towards some sort of pedagogy that is, you know, that takes a rigorous amount of hour or, you know, becoming a surgeon or something like that, that it really does take a lot of demand. And there, you know, that ties so much into burnout too, right. In so many different professions, because the demand 
is so utterly ridiculous and, and too much in many situations. But one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking about that was this idea of what is that demand costing you? And is that demand in alignment with your, with your value system, like you were talking about, right? So if it's like, okay, I can see where, you know, all of this time or energy I'm working towards this, you know, field of study, let's say, and I'm going to get my PhD or I'm going to become a surgeon or I'm going to do all of these things is that demand. We can look at that and go, is that worth it? I think for some folks, it's absolutely, it's worth it. And for other folks, it's going to be no way. Absolutely not. That sent me into adrenal fatigue or autoimmune issues or whatever. But I think that can happen with high demand in any type of relationship. And even, even in familial relationships where you're a part of a family dynamic, where there's extreme demand placed on you, I think that's worth excavating and look at, looking at what is that demand costing me? And is it, is it actually worth it or not? One of the other things I was thinking about, I'm curious what your perspective is on this. Something that I see very, very commonly in romantic relationships or sometimes even workplace, best friends, whatever, where there is that extreme level of narcissism happening from one individual, there is this um, inability to ever take ownership. And I know that you mentioned to this, that when your husband and, your, and you had decided we're going to kind of pose to her that we're going to leave this group that there was nothing but chastisement and telling you how wrong you were. And that's, that's one thing that I see consistently is that if you're dealing with a narcissist, they will likely never, ever, ever say, Hey, you're right. That was my bad. Or here's what I can do differently. Or here's where I'm There's zero ownership. It's always, if I did that, it was because you made me or, you know, some sort of logic like that. What is your perspective on that of really the ability to own missteps or even impact on someone? Um, I call that a combination of maturity and basic human decency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's table stakes. Yeah. It, it, it really should be table stakes. And um, again, sometimes we see things through the lens of our projection. And so we may project, like I, I may have an experience with you, Amy, and say like, well, Amy, you know, here's how this impacted me. And you might be like, hmm, okay, you are really stuck in your, you know, worldview and in, in this context. And if you can't respond to me with basic empathy of, yes. um, I really understand how this impacted you, even if like, you know, you, you might've done really nothing that is in alignment with my projection. <laughs> you know, it's just actually we've projected onto that person that the person should still be able to have empathy, listen and receive the feedback, take the feedback um, without having to defend or curtail, or you know, it doesn't even necessarily need to be a teaching moment. Um, sure. Although some, sometimes it is, and sometimes it should be, but I think a, a skillful teacher will be able to assess like, okay, this person's really coming from, you know, an attachment wounding place and a trauma place. So I'm not going to use this moment to reveal that to them. I'm just going to receive what they're saying. And then when they're not in that place, 
then we can talk about, hey, you know, I think that actually this was coming from, you know, some of your wounding. And what do you think about that? And, you know, have a real conversation about it. Or if you did fuck up, own it. My God. (laughs) Right. We all fuck up. Very high spiritual beings fuck up, you know, like, and and it doesn't have to be a huge deal. Um, it doesn't have to be this like big, oh, somebody's come down off the pedestal that we put them on. It can just be like, oops. Yeah. Wow. I made a mistake. Okay. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to work on that. I think if we all do a little bit better at not making it a huge deal when we're we're human, you know, (laughs) And, and, you know, don't live in alignment with our values in that one moment because something else overtook us, you know, whatever it is. I think there's also this idea in, in spiritual practice that you can, you know, attain a certain level of realization. That's it. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, exactly. Like, cool. I hit the marker, you know, like I had that enlightenment experience in 2018 Remember, um, <laughs> all good to go here. Nope. Um, it's about a lifetime of integration and practice and staying in alignment with that. So this is really interesting then to kind of be from, from the outside looking in at your journey, you went through this not terribly long ago, like seven years ago, have gone through this place of still being able to anchor into your own internal sovereignty, which has led you down the path of creating an, a coffee alternative like that. It's so not what I, in, in my logical head would go, oh yeah, there, there, that's the natural path. But talk to me just about how, how that came to be through kind of your, your spiritual practice. What are the, the through lines between those two? And you're right. It's not like, oh yeah, that's exactly what would come out. You know, like I'd probably become a coach or a therapist or something like right, that. Right. That's, that's a little bit more normal, quite simply necessity was the mother of invention on this one and mm. uh, becoming a mother was the necessity that drove that invention. I left the cult. I was pregnant at the time. Um, I ended up having an emergency back surgery, like just a couple weeks after we were in the process of leaving, wow. moved across country, had a death in the family, had an emergency cesarean birth. Jesus. Um, huge falling out with my family of origin. I mean, it was like this kind of massive, but there was this, this kind of total disintegration of self that happened and that was happening, um, in the cult context. And then, and then in the, in the leaving process as well, because you develop a certain identity around, like I'm part of this group and this is what we're doing. And we are consciously disintegrating our identity on purpose because that is what you do in spiritual work. And then now it's like, well, what the fuck am I? I was half undone there. And now I'm three quarters undone over here. And I don't even have my, their context, all of that. And my nervous system was really fried from all of that. Um, and we were doing intense energy work and, you know, Kundalini and all of that in the context of the, of the group. And then I was just fried from everything that had happened as well. And then I had a baby waking me up all hours of the night, terrible sleeper. Oh my God. He was so bad. Um, for years I was like, all right, I need something to keep me going. And so I tried coffee. I was never much of a coffee drinker before. It's always just a little bit too much for my system, but so if it was too much for my system before it was definitely too much for my system after this, I think I drank coffee maybe four times and it was just like, okay, this is a hard no body (laughs) is saying on all levels, alarm bells, like 
panic attacks, jitters, you know, stomach messed up, um, huge spikes in anger and irritability and waking up in the middle of the night, you know, mess with my circadian rhythm even more. Um, so I was like, okay, no, definitely not. And so I tried all the coffee alternatives out there and I was like, really? Like, this is all we've got available to us right now. We have this whole herbal pharmacopoeia and I've been a big herb enthusiast for many years, never formally trained in herbalism. But, you know, I would say at the time that it may have been somewhat of a distraction from the pain that was in my life in many ways, you know, and just on many levels, but it also, it was a very productive distraction in in that way as well too. Like it, it was generative. It was giving energy back to me and I wasn't avoiding everything. I was just giving myself a place where I could express healthfully instead of it being like, cool, I'm just, I'm just working on picking up the pieces of my life, you know, and, and my sense of self. I, I, and I just had, a, there was an inspiration, you know, I, like I call it my golden thread of inspiration. And I just held on and kept holding on and kept just putting one foot in front of the other. And it also like the whole process got me thinking too about coffee is a pretty blunt object for our nervous systems. Um, and especially for people who are engaging in spiritual work, which is really a lot about subtleizing and how do we open ourselves to more subtle energy, more subtle aspects of self, um, and not be so bound by the, the, the gross, um, gross is in the opposite of subtle. You know, I just started thinking about like the cultural context of so many people are addicted to this substance that can come with significant side effects, Um, And more and more people are starting to experience those side effects, I think, because more and more people are also burned out in general. And then they turn to more coffee to address the burnout cycle, but it actually hurts. It does not help that whole cycle. It, it, It actually increases the sense of burnout because you're effectively starting your day with the neurochemical equivalent of fear, um, right. adrenaline and cortisol. And like, that's sure. Use that sometimes, you know, but it's like, you have to be judicious about how you're sourcing your energy. And especially if you're going through intense, intense periods of your life around how you are finding your sovereignty and your identity, you know, if you're jacking up your nervous system on, on something that's pretty intense, like you're, you are already leaving sobriety and sobriety is where it's at in terms of like reconnecting with yourself and being like, okay, here's where I actually am. Here's my actual sense of self. And so, yeah, I just started to get really curious about what would happen if more people in our culture were approaching their energy in a way that is nourishing and grounding and centering instead of kind of like lifting up and off just for the productivity and just do it, you know? That was also part of the inspiration because I had had such an extreme experience of, you know, getting thrown off of my center and was like, you know, coffee as a, as a solution for how to keep going actually feels like it only furthers that experience of going off of my center. And so getting something nourishing, calming, grounding that also helped me sustain in what I was going through. And it helped me, you know, put my energy towards something that was creative and generative and offered something to someone else instead of keeping my world really small around my own healing and my own process and all of that. It just, it was a very nice alchemy in in my life at that time. Wow. I, I had to write, I started writing neuro 
equivalent of fear, but I don't know if that's exactly what you said. Can you say that again about how neurochemical equivalent of fear? Yeah. Neurochemical because it, it causes an adrenaline and cortisol spike, which is what you use to, you know, escape a tiger or whatever in our lives, but not how you want to be like kickstarting your day every day. Well, use it sometimes find your right relationship. That's the important thing. And I think if people really stand back and look at it, it isn't, it it isn't a right relationship. If you're having these extreme crashes or you're not able to sleep or you can't function without it. And it's one of those things in our society that we identify with, right? We go like, oh, I'm a coffee person or, oh, don't ask me a question. I haven't had my coffee yet. And, and so we use it like it's this innocuous thing. But I love you actually using the term sobriety around, you know, I've, I've always thought coffee and caffeine really mimics anxiety, but I never thought about it through the context of neurochemical equivalent of fear. That's what we're doing. No wonder you're having extra anxiety attacks and you're like, let me just have a Red Bull. Let me just, you know, have an afternoon coffee and how detrimental that is to just your well-being, your mental well-being right? Like we have this epidemic of anxiety disorders and we're not looking at this major, major element. Well, I could talk to you about this all day, Lopa. Thank you so much for picking up. Thank you for sending me, Rasa. I'm definitely going to have that listed in the show notes for everybody to take a look at. I'm such a huge advocate. My anxiety and life completely changed when I stopped drinking coffee Mm. and Western mm-hmm. medicine never fucking told me that ever. And I'm, <laughs> I'm still bitter. <laughs> I'm still bitter, but they're starting to figure it out. Maybe, but uh, we do have a discount code for anyone listening. Um, if you go to our website, we are rasa.com and use the code bold truth. You'll get 15% off. Nice. Oh, what a sweet score. Very, very cool. So everybody be sure to check that out. We'll put that in the show notes for everyone, but Lopa, thank you so much for just sharing your journey and your story around cultivating your own identity outside of uh, some of these extreme spiritual beliefs and how that led you to such an incredible uh, product that you're sharing with the world. And um, thank you just for, for being you and and sharing what you did with us today. Thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the the many turns that the conversation took and I, I hope it's helpful and it may, may someone receive some benefit from this. That'll be completely worth it. Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. So I'm going to go make myself a cup of Rasa <laughs> and I'll let you back to yours. And um, I will talk to you later, my friend. Awesome. Thank you, Amy. Have a great day. All right. You too. What? a tale, right? And I'm hoping that you've been able to glean a couple of little nuggets around how we tend to get lost with our identity in other people, other organizations, other ideologies, other belief systems. I think it's really important for us to consistently and chronically check in with our intuition, start noticing if a group of people, if it just doesn't quite feel right to be around them or 
there's just something that feels kind of sticky, which we we talked about a little bit earlier. And listen, I would love to hear your stories. I would like to know what your biggest takeaway was. I hang out the most on Instagram, and I would love for you to circle over there. Find me under the handle, Hey Amy Green Smith. Find the meme for this episode, which is 445. It's usually one of the first ones. And share with me what you learned or what was kind of an aha moment or if you had a similar situation maybe in a romantic partnership where you felt duped or taken advantage of or made wrong for kind of following your own intuition. Next week, we are going to have another dial-in expert and she's going to be talking about being queer and leaving your evangelical faith roots and what that looks like navigating family relationships. Obviously, our sexuality, our gender identity, all of that is such a huge, huge piece of making up who we are. And depending on how you were raised, there may have not been much room for that. So stay tuned for that discussion. I will see you around these parts next week. And please remember, you are enough. Your voice matters. So go out there and tell the bold-faced truth. Okay, wait, 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 just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe, and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves. And if you do, I will give you a mini pig. Just kidding, but I will be so very incredibly grateful. Okay, thank you, bye.